When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge this season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at First, first listen. listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A warning before we start. This episode includes discussions of suicide. In one of my conversations with Svetlana's daughter, there was one detail she shared about her mother that really stuck with me. Olga had spent her childhood living alongside, living inside, her mother's trauma. And after many moves and revelations and heartbreaks, that trauma was something the two of them shared. But Svetlana was resilient, and she wanted to teach her daughter resilience too. My mother would make me recite the story of Scheherazade to myself as a means of telling myself that things could be so much worse. The story of Scheherazade comes from the classic tale 1001 Nights. As the story goes, a Persian sultan driven into a jealous rage by his unfaithful wife would marry a virgin every night and behead her in the morning. When the beautiful and clever Scheherazade weds the monarch, she staves off death by telling him enchanting stories. Aladdin, Alibaba and the Forty Thieves, Sinbad the Sailor. But each night she stops the story before getting to the end. If the sultan wanted to hear the rest, he'd have to spare her life until the next night. And the next. And the next. And after 1,001 nights of bedtime story blue balls, the sultan, who'd fallen head over heels for Scheherazade, spares her life forever. Ah, love. I could be kidnapped by a king and then having to be telling him stories to keep myself alive. You know, the never-ending story to keep myself alive. That kind of thing. Like, we should be so lucky. Of all the sagas of survival that Svetlana could have compelled her daughter to recite, she chose Scheherazade, a woman trapped by a tyrant. A woman whose power, whose very survival, was rooted in her ability to tell stories. 
Of Stalin's children, his eldest son was killed in war at 36. His younger son drank himself to death by 40. But Svetlana lived to 85. She lived by telling her story. Storytelling was her route to freedom, her ticket to America, to financial independence, a means to gain control over and make sense of her messy life. So how does Svetlana's story end? Did she ultimately find what she was looking for? Did she ever really break free of her family history of the cycles that haunted her? Can any of us? I'm Dan Katroser, and this is the last episode of Svetlana Svetlana. You wake up in the morning, you live your day, and then you do it tomorrow and over and over again. Did it my way. Svetlana had spent the last few years trying to reconnect with her family, with her roots, and find a place that felt like home. Now, she found herself back to square one in Wisconsin. Or more like square eight? I don't know. I'm not one for numbers. Here's Rosemary. You know, it's it's a story that uh, is unbelievably structured because everything echoes everything else. (laughs) Svetlana is back in Wisconsin again. Olga is back at boarding school in England again. Svetlana's two Russian children are lost to her again. And now she's alone in a hunting lodge in the woods that she bought for cheap. Some newspapers report that she's got $1,500 to her name. And when she reaches out to friends to ask for money, a very normal communist thing to do when you need help Her American capitalist friends are embarrassed for her, and the press has a field day. I'm looking at this one clipping now where Svet's wearing 80s wireframe aviator glasses with the headline, Stalin's sad daughter has to beg. Jesus. In the past, when Svetlana's been this confused, down and out, overexposed, underappreciated, she's fallen back on her writing. She's reclaimed her voice, And she got rich doing it. So she tries again. Svetlana writes another book, a memoir called A Book for Granddaughters, about her time back in Russia. And if you recall, Svetlana had also written a book while living in England, a memoir called The Faraway Music, about her time at Taliesin. So she's got these two books, two books that I love so much, we built this podcast around the stories they contain. And yet, no one gives a shit about them because they aren't about her father. The only interest in Svetlana was that she was Stalin's daughter. So if she wasn't talking about Stalin, they weren't interested. So she decides she needs help from someone with a bit more agency. And who might have more agency? Why? An agent, perhaps. Svetlana gets connected with Helen Bran, a famous literary agent to such icons as Maya Angelou and Fran Lebowitz. And in the archive at Amherst College, which houses Svetlana and Helen's letters, 
I was stunned by the, shall we say, emotionally charged correspondence between these two women. I'm going to force my Mike Shy producers to read these letters for me. The relationship with Helen Brand begins cordially and sweetly. Here's Helen. You write beautifully about nature, about faith, about people. I love your descriptions. This is not a political book, but a haunting memoir. You can feel Svetlana surprised, refreshed, ready to engage deeply with a collaborator and a champion. For a long time, I have not heard anyone praising my work. And good things always make me cry. Helen's going to make Svet the talk of the town again. She has a game plan. She has connections. She's going to use them all. We have to find the best editor and the best publisher. She goes on to list editors she knows at Random House, Harper and Row, Knopf, FSG, and Doubleday. Svetlana is thrilled. She sees the whole world opening up to her again. She even makes plans to buy a new house with what she is sure will be a nice advance. This is all going so well, so smoothly. The trajectory is up, up, up. But what goes up, according to science, must inevitably come down. Early on, editors start passing. Here's W.W. Norton & Co. The past which propelled Svetlana into the limelight seems so distant and really used up that it doesn't resonate now. Basically, according to this guy, Svetlana's old news. Then there's the actual critique of her manuscripts. He regretfully calls them one damn thing after another. Random House agrees. Svetlana has to be massively edited. But it's not just her story that's turning publishers away. It's, well, her. I also know too much about how difficult she can be, how paranoid. Okay, that's not fun. But Helen, good old Helen, is not willing to give up on her client just yet. She's going to wrap up their critiques into one big constructive burrito and hope that Svetlana will bite. Here's the thought. Svetlana ought to condense all four of her memoirs into one big best-selling autobiography. Yum. Is that Soviet cilantro I taste? I think a book titled Svetlana, A Life, would sell and sell and sell. Now, before we get to Svetlana's response to this, I want to say that I understand the suggestion. Yet I also totally understand the feeling of having written something you're really proud of, and the person who is supposed to be your advocate tells you, that's great, but why don't you write it completely differently? This is the reason I'm bald. Each follicle of hair I've lost is from someone not clapping at my work. But I've never had the ovaries to do what Svetlana does next. And that is to clap back. The whole notion about condensing my whole body of work in one sounds like asking a composer to write one big symphony. Svetlana is downright insulted. And as this conflict between agent and client is brewing, Svetlana puts a down payment on a house with money from an advance that was not advanced. P.S. I am still not quite out of a mess. I have gotten into thanks to your promises that I, quote, 
can buy a house. She sends Helen Bran and her agency a legal bill for $592.36. Would your office reimburse me? I think it should. Helen is astounded by this, quote, soap opera. She believed in Svetlana's extraordinary story and was only trying to help, but it blew up in her face. When Svetlana first came to America in 1967, she did so on a work visa with a $1.5 million book deal. If you recall, she was getting so much mail from her readers. America loved her. Listen to how young and hopeful she sounds. Have you any idea how many letters you've received? Well, I think I have received hundreds and hundreds of them. Have you read most of them? Oh, yes, of course. And I'm, I keep most of them because they are really very nice and uh, very kind and warm letters. Now, Svetlana's not receiving letters from adoring readers. She's getting rejection after rejection. And rejection just sucks. Especially when it's your life story that people are rejecting. That's personal. And for someone so studied in politics, it's frustrating to me that Svetlana could not have been less diplomatic in how she received constructive feedback. She was alienating her allies. But maybe she was just over it. Maybe after everyone twisting her intentions, her words, her story, maybe after East and West had yanked her around, maybe after being robbed of her money at Taliesin and emptied of her heart in Russia, maybe she was just like, Fuck all y'all. The problem is, all those people who had fucked Svetlana over in the past had seduced her because they wanted something from her. Helen Bran is just an agent who Svetlana's never met in person and who is merely trying to help. Yet Svetlana is so over people's input on her life story that she sees a suggestion as an attack, critique as a betrayal. The final letter from Helen Brand, which included her returning all of Svetlana's manuscripts, was dated November 9th, 1989, the 57th anniversary to the day of her mother's death, the exact day the Berlin Wall came tumbling down. The world was changing, rapidly. Could Svetlana keep up? More after the break. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. 
As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. When your child fights sleep, it can feel like a battle you'll never win. Imagine a bedtime routine you all look forward to where you cuddle in and let the stress of the day melt away. Welcome to Sleep Tight Stories, a calming weekly podcast that brings bedtime stories, cuddles, and comfort to families worldwide. The stories are quirky, relatable, and spark wonder without overstimulation, so listeners can fall asleep and stay asleep. Each episode is narrated by me, Cheryl McLeod, a second-grade teacher, and written by my husband, Clark, an eternal second grader at heart. Tune in tonight and bond over a story before drifting off to sleep. Make bedtime the sweetest part of your day. Sleep Tight Stories. Listen to Sleep Tight Stories on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Act 2. The Last Laugh. June 1991, a dreary day in London. After all the rejection in America, Svetlana has returned to Great Britain once again. And on this overcast morning, Svetlana gets herself dressed and takes the tube to London Bridge. When she gets off the train, it's raining. She has her umbrella, but it keeps flying up and turning inside out. When she reaches the bridge, she finds it deserted. Nobody on the bridge. I looked around. Nobody on the bridge. Yeah. So I tried climbing, climbing, really, the bridge. Really. and the water was muddy and brown and dreadful. She's laughing in this interview, recorded a few years after the fact, but this is a grim moment—the lowest low. She shimmies up onto the rail, struggling in her pencil skirt. There was nothing particularly wrong with my yeah. life on that day, but on that particular day, I thought about it in very dark terms. What am I? My books are not published. I don't see any yes. lucky escape from that. Yeah. And it was very dark, windy, cold, mm. drizzly day. At this time, Svetlana is living in a charity hostel in what the Evening Standard dubs the shabby end of town, a group home where the bathroom is shared and residents cook their meals communally. She just lost a couple of close friends, including famed novelist Jerzy Kaczynski, who died the month before by suicide. Svetlana is reminded of her own mother's suicide, and she thinks if Jerzy has nothing to live for with his literary fame, then what chance does she have? As she stands there on the edge of the bridge, perhaps she feels ready to join her friends and her mother in what she maybe imagines as a more peaceful place. But as she's struggling in her pencil skirt, 
Somebody grabbed me by the back. Oppie, don't. And pulled me back. <sighs> Svetlana is saved by a man she thinks must be an angel. And as he pulls her back to safety, Svetlana struggling in his grasp, he shouts, Oh, these godless people. And I was fighting, and I thought, Let me go, let me go. Who are you after? Yes. I am nobody. You know, <gasps> and he was holding me there until police arrived. The police take her home and make her promise not to do it again. As far as suicide attempts go, Svetlana relays this one with a surprising amount of irony and humor. And that's what I love so much about her. It's so characteristically Svet to be able to look back at her most vulnerable moment, a moment when she was willing to actually end it all and, well, laugh. Of course, I can laugh now. Yeah. I think I laughed next day. No, maybe not next day, maybe yeah. next week. Yeah. That laughter, it was something she'd been taught by many people in her life. It was her antidote to tragedy. It's a saving grace, isn't uh, it? The yes. ability to laugh. Yes, right? but it was always like, it was always on the verge. You, you could yeah, cry, you could you laugh, laugh, and you could cry. But, but the last thing would be laugh. You could cry, you could laugh, but the last thing would be laugh. You can hear it, can't you? In her laughter, Svetlana was able to take a step back from the pain. In 1997, Svetlana, now 71, returns to Wisconsin for the last time to live with her 26-year-old daughter. And for the rest of her life, she'll do something she's never done. She'll stay put. Mother and daughter wouldn't live together long, but Olga would always be her closest friend, her confidant, her protector. And with help from those who loved and cared for her, Svetlana would get to live out the rest of her days somewhat anonymously. I think many people did not even realize who she was. I mean, she was private. We called her Lana. That's Bridget Roberts, who works at the community library in downtown Spring Green. After we visited Taliesin, my producers and I wandered around, hoping to get a glimpse of what Svetlana's day-to-day might have looked like. When we spoke to Bridget, who was just as friendly, chipper, and hushed as a Midwestern library administrator should be, we asked her if she knew Svetlana. Yes, she came in on this library many times. Oh. She, I, I definitely knew her, and she would come in. She loved to sit over in the reading area and just read books. I took her home a few times because I said, Lana, you can't walk all the way home that, you know, with it. But a uh, very, very sweet lady and really private. I love that image of Svetlana Aluyeva, or I guess Lana Peters, a short, quiet woman in her 70s, spending her days in the library, reading and reading and reading until closing time. She's sort of an older Russian Matilda, someone seemingly ordinary who is, in fact, extraordinary. I think she felt comfortable here and safe. And like I said, many people just knew her as Lana. I don't know if they really knew what the connection was, but I think really everyone who knew that connection really respected her because like, she did not like the limelight or any of that kind of stuff. Svetlana had always claimed she didn't want the limelight, though I'm not convinced that that was always true. Yet certainly by this time in her life, she worked very hard to stay anonymous. So much so that even now, when I meet people who knew her, they feel like it is their duty to protect her. Like when my producer Allison and I were interviewing Taliesin historian Kieran Murphy and uncovered her connection to Svet towards the end of our conversation. I'm just curious, 
since you recounted that memory of Lana, what the context was of you getting to know her. I lived above Svetlana. Kieran admitted she'd been purposefully hiding this detail. She had a house with a second floor, and I lived up in that apartment. During these years, people would sometimes inquire about Svetlana's whereabouts. It was just in the air because people had heard that she was back from Europe. And so they would ask me if I knew her, if I met her. Kieran would always say, I don't know where she is right now, to throw them off the scent. My joke was always like, I did not know. Was Svetlana in her living room? Was Svetlana at the library? Was Svetlana getting her mail? I don't know. Even though Kieran lived in the same house as Lana, she kept a polite distance. She knew that Svetlana was wary and weary of people ogling her. The first time that I met her, it was very sweet, but in my head, I'm going, oh my God, you're Stalin's daughter. Oh my God, you're Stalin's daughter. Like that's screaming in my head, you know, while I'm talking to this very nice woman, but it's overwhelming. Just. What did Svetlana say at one time? Like, nobody can control who their parents are. And she was like, I wish my mother had married a carpenter. To her spring green neighbors, Lana Peters was this sweet old lady who spent her days quietly reading in the library. To her daughter, she was still the hilarious, big, complex personality that she had always been. In our conversations, her daughter told me that she and Svetlana dressed up as the Golden Girls, Dorothy and Sofia Petrillo, for Halloween, that Svetlana would curse in Russian at her typewriter, she was a terrible typer, yelling the Russian equivalent of motherfucker, or more literally, mother raper, at the keys if they got stuck, that Svetlana was always writing, always reading, always brewing some witchy old world salve that was good for aches and pains. But to the outside world, Svetlana had become something of a legend, a fun fact. Have you heard Stalin's daughter lives in Bumblefuck, Wisconsin? Journalists, filmmakers, biographers all tried to reach out to Svetlana, but at this point in her life, she felt so burned and harassed that she put up a wall. My first letter to her, it said, hey, I'm Nick, I want to write about your life. She would have thrown it away because she didn't want the attention. That's Nicholas Thompson. Nick is now the CEO of The Atlantic, Back in 2006, he was writing a book about George Kennan and reached out to Svetlana as a source. They soon became pen pals, traded phone calls, and when Nick eventually visits her in Wisconsin, he meets an older Svetlana, a quieter one. Her hair has gone white, she walks with a cane, and she's living in a senior citizen's home, her father's Russian-English dictionary on the bookshelf. He recalls her having the welcoming energy of someone who hadn't told her story in a long time. Their conversations were long and numerous. Svetlana gifted him poignant insights about Kennan, the subject of his book, and didn't hold back from giving him personal advice either. They became friends. I feel lucky that I met her. I felt lucky that I got to talk to her. I really, like, I enjoyed those years of letters, not just as a writer or as a reporter, in fact, sometimes got in the way, but just as a person. So I was very grateful to have had her as like an older friend. 
Nick would eventually pen a wonderful piece in The New Yorker called My Friend Stalin's Daughter. It was one of the first pieces I ever read about her. She was an extraordinary mix of emotions and intensities and passions in a way that I found utterly compelling. Like Nick and so many others, I too have found her wildness, her daring, her thoughtfulness, her impulsiveness, all of her contradictions intoxicating. She's a cocktail I want to keep drinking forever. I don't know if the inner turmoil Svetlana had experienced in her life was ever resolved. Whether she had quieted down because she finally found balance, or that she had just gotten older. She still struggled with money. She still cycled between senior homes. She never forgave her father and saw Putin repurposing his playbook. But still, by her daughter's account, she found some sense of peace and of laughter in her final years. By 2011, Svetlana is diagnosed with colon cancer. Sensing she's at the end of her days, Svetlana pens a letter and gives it to her lawyer. And in November, of course, she passes away at the age of 85. This letter, written by Svetlana to her daughter, her last great story, is delivered in the aftermath of her death from beyond the grave. It's a loving letter about how she's joining her ancestors and how she's now watching from the other side. She ends it with a scribbled note saying, Sorry for the bad typing. Alas, it did not improve even from here. Whatever you want to call her, Svetlana Aluyeva, Lana Peters, you have to admit she got the last laugh. Actually, her daughter got the last laugh when she threw a party on the beach to scatter her mom's ashes into the Pacific Ocean, hoping no one would notice and issue her a fine. It was a fitting end, laughter and tears, a group of friends in the sand, drinking wine, casting Svetlana out to sea. More after the break. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. 
As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Parents, ready to discover a new educational and interactive podcast for kids? Join Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids where episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We learned how to recycle at the beach. That was great fun. Callie, what do you say? It was. And that time when we did the science experiments and Billy made Raisins dance. That is so cool, Billy. He did. <laughs> Not to mention when a certain Elliot took up swimming classes with Lisa. That was me! <laughs> Bet you can't catch me. I'm going to get you. All this fun and more in our Stories for Kids. Lingo Kids Stories for Kids is now available on Story Button, the kid-friendly device for screenless podcast listening. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Act 3. Curtains. Shahrazad was able to stay alive through her storytelling. She'd cleverly chop her stories in half, finishing one and starting the next in the same night, making her bloodthirsty husband salivate for the end of the tale instead of the end of her life. It's in this way that Scheherazade created a kind of never-ending story. And though that was certainly not Svetlana's intention, I kind of feel like she's done that for me, each chapter of her life oddly linking to the next one in a way that makes you want to be a detective, understanding the links, piecing them all together. Why did she defect to the U.S.? Why did she go to Taliesin? Why did she marry Wes? Why did it have to happen so fast? Why did she return to the USSR? Why did she come back? She writes about all of these big life moves in separate books, but she doesn't connect the dots. I don't disagree with the editor who said it's, quote, one damn thing after another. So the why keeps me searching. Looking back on her 85 years of life, it's easy to see her as a tragic figure. A New York Times obituary calls her life a, quote, bewildering road ending in decades of obscurity, wandering, and poverty. That is so mean, you guys. And look, it's true. Everything that she had gained by defecting in 1967, it seems that she had lost by the end of her life. Before Roger and Harold met up with Svetlana, they were warned by her friend how poor she was. It's the end of the month. And her welfare check will have run out. And, you know, she probably will not offer you anything, drinks or anything to eat. So, yes, by some standards, American capitalist standards, 21st century, everyone wants to be famous standards, where there are winners and losers in life, Svetlana had lost it all. That's how I was characterizing her to Nicholas Thompson when I sat down with him. And I was blown away when he corrected me. 
she seemed like a great American immigrant, right? Like, yeah, just came here and became something entirely new. I think, I mean, she broke out of one life, created a new one, had a whole bunch of ups and downs, but I, I don't think of her story as a tragic one at all. It had tragic elements, but it was not a tragic story. She lived a very full life. She lived a fascinating life. She li lived an emotionally invigorating life. She had a fulfilled life. There were lots of ups, lots of downs. She had massive regrets, but I certainly don't think of it as a tragedy. As a writer trying to understand her, it's easy to get lost in Svetlana's life. Hey, Svetlana herself got lost in it too. But Thompson is right. Svetlana's story may have tragic elements, but it's not a tragedy. At one point, she even said so herself. Sometime, if you are interested to listen to one of the most funny stories of our time, my paradoxical life, I would be glad to tell you more. It is a saga, and irony is a tire and a tragedy all in one. I'm glad I have survived it all, and I'm still an optimist. But I do laugh a lot at myself, and if I lose that glass of capacity, my end will come fast. A saga, an irony, a satire, a tragedy. That was what drew me to Svetlana's story in the first place. The tale of a woman who did everything in her power to shuffle off the shackles of one life, only to thrust herself into the cage of another, and then to do it over and over again, each time intersecting with the most bizarre characters of history. This is what made me want to write her into a play, a play that itself would be all of the things that she was, all of the things that I am. When I started the process of writing about Svetlana, I knew that that was where I wanted to take the story. What I didn't expect was where the story would take me. On trips to Scottsdale. Welcome to Terminal 3 of Phoenix Sky Harbor International Airport. On tours of Wisconsin. Your destination is on the left. We see, thank Th you. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, this is, this is it? Yeah. yeah. I'd become friends with authors Roger Friedland and Harold Zellman. Oh, Roger, you sound beautiful. I want you to read me the Bible. I'd be happy to. Which section would you like? You know, the Sodom and Gomorrah parts. Oh, okay. <laughs> and sharing the love for Svetlana with biographer Rosemary Sullivan. Your affection for Svetlana moves me. I mean, she really matters to you. <laughs> yeah, she does. I'd get to meet people who knew Svetlana. Funny, smart, interesting. She always had like a funny quip. You know, she had great stories. It's just a total pleasure to talk with her. And I'd get out of a trap that I and Svetlana and so many writers always fall into. I'd find a gang of artists who were not only my champions, but my collaborators, my comrades. Adam Weber, Allison Joy, and Catherine Isaac. The Svetlanites, as I call us. As someone pick a tone and we're all gonna harmonize. <laughs> Wait, no, go, 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 go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not sound terrible. All right, Allison, you go again. <laughs> yes! I feel like this is sister act. The least. 
<laughs> Ultimately, we've told this tale with humor. It was honestly the most reverential way I could tell it. And I hope against hope that Svetlana would get the joke. Or maybe not. The woman certainly had lots of opinions. But I wouldn't have her any other way. It's because of our fearless storytellers, our Svetlanas, our Scheherazades, that we have these never-ending stories to tap into. It's been more than 10 years since she died, and Svetlana's life story and her writing have changed me. I'm calmer now. Just kidding, I'm really not. I'm still the same messy person I always was. I just know that you can leap fearlessly into the next chapter of your life and rest assured that you'll retain all of your glorious, fabulous flaws. That, among many other things, is what her life means to me. I hope Svetlana's life has meant something to you. It would seem that she hopes so, too. She closes her last book, a book for granddaughters, with this parting thought. The hope of this writer is that the memoirs of my generation will be appreciated by those who never knew our times. Our books will help them to understand not only another era, but different people. And granddaughters of all colors and creeds, not only mine, will then find on these old-fashioned pages strange and unreal situations, but also some familiar faces. So the next time you have an impulse to throw your life up into the air, blow it up, and crash into a new chapter, think of Svetlana and know that, sure, you just might lose everything, but you'll have one hell of a story. Let's drink to that. But not vodka. Svetlana preferred a gin and tonic. Vodka, she said, was for peasants. My name is Dan Katroser, and this was Svetlana Svetlana. Svetlana Svetlana is a production of iHeart Podcasts and The Documentary Group. I'm your host, Dan Katroser. The show is written and produced by me and my friends, Adam Weber, Allison Joy, and Catherine Isaac. We also serve as executive producers. At The Documentary Group, our executive producer and all-around fairy godmother is Joe Basilowitz. Production oversight by Stacey Klieger. Additional support from Tom Yellen and Gabrielle Tenenbaum. Our iHeart team is supervising producer Casey Pegram and executive producer Maya Howard. Editing assistance from producers Christina Loringer and Joey Pat. These folks went above and beyond and were forever grateful. Original music by Ilan Isakov. Your brilliant buddy. Production counsel by Sloss Eckhouse Dasty Haynes Lawco. Clearance counsel by Ballard Spar. Jay, you're our hero. Fact-checking assistance by Megan Trout. Excerpts from Svetlana Aluyeva's book, A Book for Granddaughters, are performed by Cassie Greer. Cassie, along with Alyssa, Josh, Luann, Sean, Sherry, Beth, and Linestorm playwrights, helped me develop my play and were some of my earliest partners in crime. Thank you all. Big thanks to parents Neil and Diane for taking me on the best trip to Amherst, and my cousin Jenny and her fiancé Jared for going on multiple tours of Taliesin West with me and chauffeuring me around Arizona. I'm so glad I don't drive. And thank you to the partners of our writing and producing team who have added so much to this project emotionally, spiritually, and creatively. 
Jeff Wooker, Jonathan Woolen, and Lena Vong. Lena, you are the one who said this story should be a podcast. So grateful for all of your support. And lastly, to my husband, Jordan Siegel. You've been there with me every step of the way during this project. You must be exhausted. Thank you. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge the season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.